to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. The world of sponsorship was already experiencing a lot of change before COVID, but as we are now fairly and squarely in the middle of living with COVID, the industry continues to change at a rapid pace. 2022 has a real sense of optimism as we see people flocking back to live sports events, including the rise and rise of women's sport, where we recently saw a record set for the biggest crowd at a women's football match when Barcelona hosted Real Madrid and 91,553 people attended. And no game had more people in it all season so far, and that includes the men's Classico. Brands are also taking stock and in some cases pivoting or re jigging their sponsorship approaches and portfolios, looking for new ideas and opportunities. And that's why I thought it would be good to look at some of the trends that are happening in the sponsorship industry right now. Hi, I'm Daniel Oyston, host of Inside Sponsorship, and you are listening to episode 107, brought to you by Core Software. And it is great to have you listening into another episode, no matter where you are in the world. But before we dive into the show, I have just the one shout out, and that is to Aaron McGill. Aaron connected with me on LinkedIn after only recently discovering the podcast and he filled me in on his career as a professional sportsman in motor racing, which has spanned 20 years and he's attracted brands to his sponsorships, including Ream, Battery World and Aporto. And of course, he told me he has learned heaps from the podcast. So thanks for connecting, Aaron. It's great to hear from you. As I mentioned earlier, I thought it would be good to look at some of the trends that are happening in the sponsorship industry right now. And to help me do that is Paula Beadle, founder and CEO of Caravel Marketing. Paula is a sponsorship industry leader who has mastered the art and science of sponsorship over 30 years of experience in sponsorship, media, sports, major events, and entertainment. Paula and the team at Caravel Marketing consult across strategic sponsorship and partnership marketing. Paula is also the founder of Sponsorship Mastery, an organization dedicated to improving individual and organizational sponsorship performance. Paula also serves on the board of directors for the Red Cross, Seattle Sports Commission, Washington Fairs and Events Association, and is also a mentor for women in sports and entertainment. Wise. Paula presents to conferences on navigating the future of sponsorship marketing and she frames her presentation around the research conducted and so I thought she would be the perfect person to have on the show. Here's Paula. Paula, welcome to the show. We always ask a few icebreaker questions just to help the show get going and for the listeners to get to know you a little bit better and in my preparation for our chat I found out that you've bought and sold sponsorships for everything from multi-million dollar naming rights, but then right down to racing pigs. Now, what are racing pigs all about? Please explain it for us. Daniel, does that mean you've never seen racing pigs before? I don't think I have. (laughs) So racing pigs are often found at state fairs and there are these adorable pigs and they've got numbers on them and this race track and they race around the track while the audience is, you know, screaming for their favorite pig. And what we did is we created a sponsorship for uh, Les Schwab actually, where we did a best seats in the house and a meet and greet with the pigs. So the winners, the promotion that we did, the winners had a VIP badge. They sat in the front row. They got to take photos with the pigs uh, after uh, after the, comp- the, the race. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Uh, there's a pub about a bar about 300 kilometers from where I live, and we used to go down there sometimes for football preseason camp. And on the Friday night, they do crab races. So they catch all these crabs, and they paint a number on their back, and they put them all in the bucket. They draw a big circle in the middle of the floor of the pub, and everyone stands around, and they all bet on the crabs, and they turn the bucket over, and whoever's crab gets to the outside of the circle wins. So uh, we might have to get you over to look at sponsoring crab races. But I feel like that might be a step down from the pigs. Oh, no, I don't think so. Uh, that sounds like great fun, and it is a wonderful sponsor opportunity, especially for Lando Lakes, butter, right? Very, Yes, very good. So, Paula, I also found out that you are an outdoorsy type and can often be found navigating 
the waters of the Pacific Northwest or hiking trails or maybe even perfecting your swing on the golf course, which is always a never-ending quest. Tell us about your greatest ever golf shot that you played that really sticks in your mind. Oh, my. Well, I've had so many. No, that's not true. <laughs> I really I really haven't had so many great uh, golf shots. A matter of fact, it's only been in the last couple of years where I even feel comfortable enough calling myself a golfer. But I, I would say the one great shot that comes to mind, of course, I was all alone. Nobody was with me. I was on a small course here on the island where I live playing nine holes, very beautiful, sunny morning. And it was the seventh hole, elevated tee, a long rolling, you know, fairway. And the the green was also elevated. And I, I hit a perfect drive and the ball fell on the green and rolled toward the pin. And I thought I had a hole in one. Turned out I was about 12 inches short But it was one of those great moments, you know, where you you stop and you look around and you say, did anybody see that? Right. No one will ever believe I hit that amazing shot. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I I, kind of feel like that's how a lot of people feel about the work that they do. Right. (laughs) And in particular, sponsorship, because it's so much harder and it's filled with so much nuance and uh, people outside of sponsorship and events don't always understand that. So when you accomplish something that you want to celebrate, you kind of look around and say, did anybody see me do that? And what it took to make it happen. Yeah. So I I think that's a, that's a fair point. So speaking about sponsorship, let's get down to business. I know that in some of your presentations, you ask the audience, what is the one thing that you did this year that contributed to your success? And it feels like that's now a great segue to your golf story and analogy around sponsorship. It's a reasonably challenging question because so often we just do things mostly the same as as last year. We just pick up the template, we keep moving forward. We're not really looking for too many opportunities to improve and innovate because by and large, what we've been doing does work, so we keep doing it. But what sort of responses do you get to that question when you ask the audience, just generally, but are, are there any answers that really stick in your mind over the years? I believe it's so important to ask this question because we need to stop down and recognize the wins and celebrate them. And I want people to notice, right, what's contributing to their success so they can celebrate, but also so they can repeat it. And it's so easy for all of us to overlook what's truly making us successful. And most importantly, what makes us feel successful, right? So for example, I often hear a lot of things that are associated with what I would call high performance habits, right? I'm successful because I take the time to plan my week, because I exercise, because I eat healthy and I sleep well and I meditate. I often hear, you know, the the one thing that I did is I really focused on my relationships and and listened to people. And uh, one of my favorites is I just simply set a goal and was determined to reach it. It's interesting because in my prep, I thought that question was going to be, or that question that you asked the audience is really about what they did in their role to contribute to their success. But clearly I was looking at it from the wrong angle and it is important to raise those things to be able to look after ourselves so that we can go to our, our sponsorship jobs and perform. So, But we, we generally accept that sponsorship a lot of the time is about helping brands connect with and access audiences that they would probably otherwise find really difficult to access and engage with or maybe they can't find a more economical way to do it. In the past... Sponsorship has been, and I say at times, but I think we generally accept that a lot of the time, has been more of a a transactional advertising brand slapping exercise. How do you frame how powerful sponsorship really is above and beyond those, those things today? Because it's definitely changed and it's become multifaceted in terms of not just the power, but the outcomes it can deliver organizations. There certainly has been a rapid evolution of sponsorship, and that will continue. And so I'd like to say it this way. When sponsorship marketing 
is done right, it is the most effective way to make a meaningful connection with the audience, right? When sponsorship is done right, it brings multiple marketing platforms and communication channels together around a singular idea, right? And I think it's it's important that sponsorship, that it's understood, sponsorship is no longer a marketing tactic. It really is a business strategy. Sponsorship, when done right, supports the overall business strategy around community involvement and sustainability efforts, employee engagement, social issues. So I think the best sponsorship programs, they do improve the audience experience by solving a problem or by elevating uh, the experience. And that's why sponsorship marketing is so powerful today. I love that you've elevated sponsorship out of the group of, I don't know, probably 100 to 120 different marketing tactics we might have as at our disposal and really elevated it up to more, not just a marketing objective and strategy, but now a, a business one because then all the other tactics that we can execute both in a sponsorship but also in the other marketing that we can do, we can really integrate those. So I, I love how you've elevated it. As a marketer, that really resonates with me. You, you said that the industry will continue to change. So speaking of change, we have seen the industry evolve and the blowtorch has really been applied over the past maybe two years against a backdrop of COVID. What's your sense of changing the industry at the moment? Is it a little bit of a, a holding pattern as we still sort of try and find what everyone calls what is our going to be our new normal? Or is it really just just it's gone, it's evolving, it's rapid as people sort of jockey for their positions as they come out of COVID? I think sponsorship is stronger than ever. And I think it will continue to to grow and evolve. And we we really want to help people prepare and capitalize on the growth of sponsorship. Many events have seen record attendance. Uh, people want to come together. And many of us, you know, I think are reflecting on how we want to spend our time in the future and what's most important to us. And I think uh, events and live experiences have a very important role of uniting a community and providing those opportunities that people are really looking for, and that is to connect away from their their screens. I, I don't know that people have ever been more in tune uh, with how companies are supporting communities and connecting with consumers and uh, supporting important social causes like environmental sustainability. So I think taking a position on what's most important to customers is really important for brands and sponsorship is the is the solution it's the way to do that we spoke about engaging on a screen and it is a good little segue to my next question because so many of us have pivoted to doing things more virtually over the past two years with things like zoom and teams and google hangouts and the like that was the necessity as opposed to the preference I know personally, I hate most of that. I love being able to see your face now and talking to you and connecting with you on the other side of the world. But at a local level, I really hate it. I love getting out and meeting people and talking to people and spending an hour at a meeting having a coffee when really it only needed 20 minutes. That's just who I am. However, I know a sample size of one myself is not great. As such, what are you finding in terms of whether people in the industry want to continue with those virtual approaches or are they wanting to come together a little bit more in terms of the business side? Because you spoke about people coming together at venues, but what about the business side? Are they looking to come together again? No, I think it looks very differently. I'm with you though, Daniel. I want to come together with people and sit down around the table, whether that's, you know, for lunch or or drinks, right? I want to get together. Um, but I'll tell you that we did a research study and 92% of the brands that responded in the study said that they want to continue virtual meetings after COVID. And I have to say, here's what I like about virtual meetings. It is efficient and it has been easier for me to get people to meet virtually than sometimes it is in person. Uh, we've been able to do more nationally and internationally as a result of getting comfortable with Zoom. And I think uh, where at one time people really wanted to hire a local company, 
now it doesn't really matter. I mean, we're working on projects like the World University Games that'll be held in New York uh, next year. Uh, I think at a different time as a Seattle-based company, uh, the preference might have been, you know, to work with somebody else who was closer. And so people are thinking a little bit differently about that. And I know I certainly appreciate it. I'll also say that I, I think many people like you, Daniel, are fatigued uh, with virtual meetings. And I think that's largely because of how they're facilitated and how people are presenting. And it's really different than presenting in person. So it is so important right now for people to sharpen their skills, adapt to a virtual world. It is uh, it's tougher, quite frankly, than I think it is getting together in person because you just don't have all those communication tools and that collaboration and that exchange. But I, I think it is here to stay. I know in our company, we have a lot of virtual meetings. And then we are also trying to be very purposeful about planning events where we're getting together with people. The business is happening on virtually, but the relationships still have to be built by you know a shared experience whether it's lunch or coffee uh, or a baseball game. You made me look at virtual meetings in a little bit of a different light because as a marketer, I quite often talk to clients about should be creating lots of content as lead generation that we offer for free to get people engaged, but then we might try and leverage them into something small. Give us your email, get this ebook or this guide. Then we might leverage them into what is our core offerings and i wonder whether the framing of that should be applied to sponsorships because if i want to meet somebody particularly for the first time and i'm trying to do uh, some exploration around how i might be able to work with them or maybe able to help them but i really don't know too much about them then maybe face-to-face isn't better it could be that little small exchange where the virtual meeting is the one that is the gateway to the big one what are your thoughts on that Well, I think that's a really interesting approach. And I would say that where you don't have a relationship as a sponsorship seller and you don't know a lot about that company, uh, they're not likely to give you their time to have an in-person meeting, but they might be willing to spend 15 minutes with you on a virtual call. So I think it's a very good, uh, it's it's a good approach. And I know that I use it often. I will ask someone, hey, can I just have 15 minutes of your time? And in that 15 minutes, I am very well prepared with five things I know about that company and very well prepared with questions. And I get right to the business purpose of why I wanted to have that conversation and not try to, I don't try to build a relationship in those cases. It's not enough time, right? It's more important that I show them I am a pro at what I do and I am worth the time that they're giving me. So I use the time wisely, but I think it's a really good approach. Yes, and I like your framing of 15 minutes because so often when we say we want to have a chat with somebody or have a meeting, our minds just default to the automatic hour plus the time either side of it that it takes to get there, set up, finish, travel from another meeting, whatever it might be. So it's actually quite a big commitment. So I love your framing about just give me 15 minutes. And I find that if somebody says to me, just give me 15 minutes, just like you demonstrated, you are prepared, you keep it boxed within that time and, and, I, and I get away with what I need to and, and get away on time. So I love that approach. Let's move on to corporate social responsibility. You touched on it a little bit before. Corporate social responsibility or social good has become more of an important element in brands marketing than ever and how they position themselves. It helps, obviously, and it helps engage with the market and align with what the market feels is important to them and their values and what they want to see in the world. What are your observations about sponsorship and corporate responsibility right now in 2022? I'm going to give you a short response to this very big question. We are challenging ourselves to include a social good element into every sponsorship proposal. I would challenge every brand and rights holder to think the same way and include a social good corporate responsibility element into every program. And I think if you uh, need an example of that, take a look at Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle. It's a groundbreaking example of a true partnership between Oakview Group and Amazon to support environmental sustainability. I think it is a critical element to uh, every sponsorship proposal. I like your 
challenge of trying to incorporate every part of it because I feel like sometimes it's just jammed into sponsorships and other activities rather than it being something you build those activities around. And if it's part of everything, the focus starts to change purely from a business outcome, which is clearly what we're trying to do, but it's led by other things, isn't it? Yeah, Daniel, I so much agree with you. And I actually think that in many cases, like Amazon and the Climate Pledge Arena, it was the the anchor of that program. It's where they started. They started with a shared purpose and mission to build and operate the greenest facility in the world, right? They started with that mission and then they built the program from there. So yeah, I I agree with you. Yeah, as a marketer, I think you'll remember chapter one of any marketing textbook where the customer sits in the middle and the responses are built outside of that for our products and services and how we position ourselves. And if we do that with our sponsorships, let's start with some corporate social responsibility and let's see what we can build around it with our sponsorships and our other marketing tactics, then I think that's good advice. And ultimately, it's a victimless crime, so to speak, because it just makes the world better, but it will also make your program better. Speaking of 2022, and I asked about changes in the industry earlier, ultimately, a lot of what we do, it comes down to budgets. That is one of the restraints that we we have to deal with. And it is funny because some people are all doom and gloom and some say we still don't know what the new normal is just yet and we're still figuring out and as you said others are off to the races and they're getting things done and they're getting on with it what are you expecting in terms of changes to overall budgets as we progress through this year 2022 i fully expect budgets to increase if you're a brand marketer and you're not spending more money in sponsorship you should be asking yourself why not or your boss should be asking you That's how strongly I feel about the impact of sponsorship marketing. And, you know, I would say there is no new normal, right? To those who are waiting for that new normal, I would say, you know, nothing, nothing has been, is, or will be normal. If you're waiting for a moment where someone says, okay, we've arrived, here it is, the new normal, uh, you're already behind. So my, uh, my, my advice uh, which was actually given given to me 20 years ago by media giant Mick Anselmo. He said, uh, do you want to write the book or do you want to read it? And um, actually, now as I'm saying that, it might have come from my boss, Chad, uh, which then remi- reminds me of another great Mick quote. Uh, he said, if, if you're going to miss a revenue goal, miss it by a mile because missing it by an inch shows that you weren't well prepared. It shows poor, poor planning. Another great uh, quote from a mentor. But yeah, I think that it's really important to be writing the book and uh, not reading it. If you're expecting budgets to increase, and if they're not, people should be asking why or asking their, their bosses why, how does that flow through then to what you're expecting from brands and what they're looking for from rights holders in the sponsorships in 2022? Because they're going to be coming to the table, hopefully, as you say, with more budget. So they're definitely going to be expecting better return on objective or return on investment. I'm definitely a believer that, you know, budget exists for the right idea. But I think what we're going to see is continued landmark partnerships like Crypto.com Arena and uh, some of the great creative sponsorships that South by Southwest is doing with their partners. I think overall brands are going to do fewer sponsorships, but they're going to do them bigger and better. And that's what our research uh, showed us. And, and that still seems to be the trend, or at least my experience. It certainly could change quickly. And I have to say, with all the engagement uh, that we're getting right now from brands, it feels like they're really starting to look for new uh, and more sponsorship opportunities. But the research has told us, uh, and some of, some of our early insights when the year started, was that brands would be doing fewer events but just doing them bigger and better. So more creative, more customized. If they're looking for more creative, more customized sponsorships, but also different, so maybe moving away from what they've been engaged with for a while, 
they're going to be reevaluating what they're looking for in terms of interest from a, a sponsorship. We know that sports and entertainment have long dominated, but in terms of what brands are finding interesting and appealing in, in sort of what areas to sponsorship in 2022, how do other properties relate to sports and entertainment. I'm particularly interested in your thoughts around esports because that was our topic of our last episode, but it feels as though that is the area that's really starting to come to the front of the race. Yeah, it sure is. In 2020, when we did our sponsorship uh, research project, esports, and we asked the question, what are the most interesting property types to you? Esports was not even in the consideration mix. In this last year, it was number one. So I, I'm particularly interested to see how the esports industry uh, sells and prices their sponsorships. My sense right now is that it's a bit of a wild west. And uh, a matter of fact, after our conversation today, Daniel, I'm I'm talking to esports legend uh, Wim uh, Stocks, and so he's really the guy that I'm listening to right now. As you said, you, you know, sports has always dominated uh, sponsorship, but uh, there's there's interest growing in the entertainment and arts and festivals and parks. And so I, I hope that brands continue to look for the next big idea. I hope they continue to look beyond sports and beyond esports and uh, and explore some of those other areas. And again, the research indicates that that is what's happening, that brands are looking beyond sports. You know, it's, uh, it can be a cluttered uh, playing field and it can be hard to really make your mark in sports. But in some of those other categories that I just mentioned, it's efficient, the audience numbers are big, uh, the sponsorships are affordable, the measurements are in place and there's a lot of opportunity there. Yes, you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, and, and sports is quite a, a cluttered area. It is hard to get cut through and, and you can't necessarily be as nimble as you might be with other properties that might welcome you with open arms because they've been neglected because everybody's been focusing on sport for so long. Paula, as I said before, we generally accept that sponsorship is a lot of, of the time about helping brands connect with and access audiences that they would otherwise find difficult to engage and access with. But that is a bit of an overarching comment. We know there are things that need to be done to ensure that it is all successful. What are brands indicating are the services that in executing the sponsorship that they feel are most valuable to them from the rights holder in terms of being able to help them achieve their return on objective and their return on investment for the sponsorships? Well, I'd like to answer this question by saying when I was in banking, and I was on the sponsorship buying side. I was spending a huge amount of time internally making the business case for sponsorship to increase budgets and to prove the value and helping people to understand that sponsorship was not just a community relations effort or, or simply a donation, right? That it really deserved a place at the marketing table alongside every other discipline. And the toughest part of my job back then was really internal. And so I needed my partners to make that job easier by delivering what they promised, providing recaps so I could measure the results of the program, giving me audience data, uh, supporting creative and production needs, and not necessarily putting all of that on, on me and, and my team, and, and also just delivering ideas and and making every step of the process easier. I think that's how properties can really provide to, to brands what they need to show the ROI on their sponsorship and just understanding that they've got a tough job uh, often to do in, internally. And I think it's a great question to actually ask your brand partners you know, to, to share with you. Tell me, what is the internal process? Who are the people that you need to bring on board? How can I make your job easier, right? I mean, who doesn't want to hear that? It's like music to my ears. Um, so I, I think, I think it's, it's really important to take the responsibility for executing the sponsorship flawlessly. And I think that's, that's what brands want you to do. They want you to manage the process. They want you to ensure that every 
everything you promise to do is executed, but they also want you to bring the ideas and, and help in that execution. You know, this um, is leading me to another thought that in the industry, we use the term rights holder a lot. And I think that implies that you are buying the assets or the rights and you do with them whatever you want to do. And those days are gone, right? We should probably take rights holders out of our vernacular as I'm saying this. Uh, I would love to hear what other people think, but I, I think it's the property's obligation to manage the sponsorship and, and execute it. And I think it's, it's what brands need us to do and to do better. Let's go with rights enabler for the moment. I'll see if I can stitch that into the rest of the, the show. But as, as you were speaking, it reminded me how often we talk about the importance of storytelling in sponsorship, but quite often we're focusing on the outward facing storytelling, the stories that we tell that audience that we want to engage with. But as you were talking about internally, when you're at the bank, a lot of that was about, sure, coming up with ideas, but a lot of it sounded like enabling you to be able to go and tell stories to engage with your internal stakeholders. So that storytelling element shouldn't be lost on people, that it is also happening internally to help keep that sponsorship alive. And that's going to be important come renewal time because we start to look at objectives and whether we've met them. I mentioned objectives in my last question. Accessing and engaging with audiences, as I've said a couple of times, is a broad purpose of sponsorship. And so it does actually need to be narrowed down. And each brand would have their own objectives, which are going to be aligned to their wider marketing and business plans. Or as you rightly said earlier, if sponsorship is done properly, it is elevated up past those levels. But we still do need to narrow it down from we're just trying to access an audience. What do the priority or most important sponsorship objectives look like? And I'm interested in whether you think there's been much of a change in in the importance and what people are looking to achieve with those objectives since COVID. I have two answers for this question. One is based on our research, which told us this. The top three objectives have remained the same over the last couple of years. And, And but they have become more important. And those objectives are increased brand loyalty, product and service trials and sales, right? And creating awareness and visibility. So those are have been the top three objectives over the last few years, and they have remained the same. In our research, we saw a huge drop in the objectives around employee engagement. And I will say that that has not been my experience. It still seems to be an important factor, particularly as brands are trying to rebuild or build uh, virtual cultures. So there's there's certainly the research, and then there's our you know practical experience. And I think one of the other places where I've really seen a shift, you know, just by uh, being out there and and engaged with companies, has been around. The, the brand awareness. And what has changed is how they're defining that. So brand awareness does not translate into signage and logo placement. What they really mean by brand awareness is loyalty. And that's the, that's the other switch that has happened, right? Or the shift. And, and loyalty happens when people fall in love with your brand. So how, I mean, we all want to hear that, right? I love your company. I love the way that you work. I love your product. I love your service. But how do you get someone to fall in love with you? And I think, again, that's why sponsorship marketing is so effective and so important because it makes that meaningful connection to the audience. So we've spoken about changes, objectives, and the most important services that brands are looking for. And I wanted to come back to services because ultimately they need to be managed and delivered by someone, a person, a human being, or or maybe a team of people. And so the skills that they use to do that are important. What are you seeing are the brand's expectations of their sponsorship representatives? Deeper marketing knowledge and more research and a greater level of customization, which requires preparation, and it requires asking smart questions and developing proposals that really meet the objectives. Now, I know sponsorship industry have heard this many times from many different people, but we're still not 
putting it into practice and uh, really important that we continue to work on closing that gap between what brands are asking us for, what they're telling us are their key objectives, and then how that is showing up in in our uh, proposal. It pains me to say it, but there are still some out there that take a broad approach, a sponsorship package approach, and just focus on ticking off the deliverables. However, on the other hand, there are absolutely some fantastic professionals who really get it, but then execute on great sponsorship sales and management. We want a future in sponsorship where everyone is operating well might might be a bit of a pipe dream, but we do want a future where everybody is operating in sponsorship well. As such, what advice do you have for, for those people to help close the gap who might still be a bit more transactional focused? Thank you for asking this question. As an industry, we absolutely, uh, as you said, we need to operate uh, differently. And we need to make some improvements. And that is around price and being creative and implementing. All of that needs to happen in a more consistent way. And that's why we need to improve our sales process and our management. And we need more transparency around pricing and a more widely known and adopted model for pricing. We need to think and act more like marketers and and we need to commit to that flawless execution. As an industry, and you you said it well, we need to evolve, we need to have more consistency, and frankly, we just need to do better. So much of what you've spoken about has been great so far. I feel like there's lots of takeaways. I'm going to ask you a really challenging question. I feel like this is a good halfway point or, or maybe three-quarter way point to, to, to take a breath because we've spoken about the landscape and there's been so much change and what it looks like now. But it'd be great just to take a little bit of a pause and, and get you to distill what we've spoken about so far into some insights to help the listeners make sure that they're making the most of what we've spoken about so far because I want to start to take a little bit of a different but I want to maybe just draw a line under some of that stuff and give people some key takeaways. I think one of the most important things to remember is that success starts with a smart plan and it needs to be written down. And whether it's two pages or it's 20 pages, one of my favorite sayings is a goal without a plan is just a wish. Right. So I think if there was something that I wanted the audience to take away from our conversation today is the importance of preparation and the importance of of planning. I just don't believe we can be as successful as we want to be uh, as easily and and make sponsorship easier and simpler without having uh, a smart plan. And then the second thing that I would say is. You know, as you're engaging companies in conversations about partnering, keep this in mind. If if what you are offering them, what you're creating, if it doesn't support the company's current strategies or initiatives or their current campaigns, and if it doesn't align with their brand and with their audience, it is not the right partnership. Don't waste your time or theirs, right? So if if you're not in a position to develop a partnership that aligns with companies, brand, audience, strategies, right, their initiatives, it's not likely that you're going to be successful even if you do manage to secure the partner, right? Even if you get the deal done. Long-term, you you won't have that same level of success. But most importantly, I just don't think anybody should waste their time. <laughs> it's good advice. Paula, we can't really talk sponsorship in 2022 without talking about crypto. And we kind of touched on it a tiny little bit earlier. It has had a strong emergence and a, a, a few of our past guests have spoken about it. What are your tips for navigating the crypto world in sponsorship? Yeah, find somebody who can educate you about crypto and um, and then have them call me <laughs> because I uh, I also want to be educated. Uh, actually, you know, we we rely pretty uh, pretty heavily uh, on our on our friend uh, Kevin Kane. He's a senior manager of data strategy and navigate, and he is a thought leader in crypto sponsorships. So most importantly, 
stay informed, get familiar with crypto uh, brands, and, and follow Kevin because he's watching it every day, all day, and he knows what's happening in the space. And, he, you know, crypto sponsorships, uh, un, uncharted waters for uh, most of us. And when Staples Center became Crypto.com Arena last December uh, in a massive deal, Daniel, right? I believe it, 20 years, $700 million, that was a game changer. So I think, you know, it's important to keep an eye, close eye, on the three big cryptocurrency companies, Coinbase, Crypto.com, and FTX, I think are leading the way. And, and it's a branding arms race, and, uh, and sponsorship is, is definitely a big choice for them in terms of their marketing and how they're gaining uh, hearts and, and, and minds. Um, so when people are ready to invest money into crypto, they're thinking about those big time players. So there's a lot of competition, but it's anybody in the sponsorship industry has to be paying attention to what's happening to crypto right now. And, uh, and hopefully very soon we'll all understand it better than what we <laughs> do today. Yeah. So I agree with you. I think I know a little bit more than the bare minimum. Um, it's on the long list of things that I probably need to spend more time learning about. But the interesting sort of nuance or, or friction probably is a better word that, that is occurring around crypto is clearly it's an important player. It's here. You talk about 20 years sponsorship, long-term sponsorships, but the impact that mining for cryptocurrency has on the environment and then trying to marry that up with what our corporate social responsibility is, I think the words that you used before were, uh, or the word that you used before was uncharted. How we can be good corporate social responsible citizens and align that with what people want around a better world, but also the thirst and, and, and the want to engage with cryptocurrency is something that I think is interesting to still play out. Now, Paula, so much of what we've spoken about is extremely difficult to achieve unless we have a great culture on both sides. I'm going to use the words rights enabler rather than rights holder, but also the brands and even the agencies that are involved. What do you think are some of the steps people can take to, to create a really successful sponsorship culture? I think everyone in the organization needs to have a baseline of sponsorship marketing understanding and you know in all of those organizations that you just mentioned daniel i can walk into any one of them and find people who are critical to the success of sponsorship who have a different understanding of what it is and how it impacts the organization and so i think the first place to start in building that culture is make sure that everyone is starting from the same place of understanding i think it's also important that leadership makes a declaration and and says that sponsorship is a team sport and it requires everyone's participation in this organization and then they need to demonstrate that and uh it it, it reminds me when i was working with the minnesota vikings and red mccombs walked into one of the first staff meetings in the organizations in the organization after he had purchased the team and he said in support of sponsorship and ticket sales he said make no mistake nothing happens in this organization until a sale is made so it was incumbent upon everyone to support that effort and i thought it was a great example this was a long time ago now for those of you who remember when red mccombs owned the vikings but um it was so impactful to me because as a leader, right, he was showing the support, but he was really, really backing that up. And then I think the, the third thing is that the people who are responsible for sponsorship in the organization need to involve their colleagues. I hear a lot of people talk about, I'm on an island, I'm out here doing sponsorships and nobody understands what it takes and how hard it is. And, uh, and they don't really understand it. And so I think it's important that they are a champ, that, that they're a champion within their organizations and that they're involving people and that they're also transparent about the, the sales process and what they're doing and how difficult it is and what sponsors care about and all the steps that they have to go through to develop these really meaningful partnerships. So you have to involve people in that. And, and I think sometimes that starts with 
you know, have a meeting where you bring everybody together and you put some paper up on the wall and do it old school like I do. And, you know, ask everybody to help you make a list of what are what are the assets? What are the ideas? What are the fun promotions that we could do? Who are the sponsors that we most want because they they align with who our audience is and and give people the opportunity to be involved in that process. It's great advice. I love the old school paper on the wall. It's going to make sure that the markers don't go through the paper and onto the wall. So I prefer a whiteboard, but I do love the the I do love the big paper on the wall. Now, Paula, I mentioned at the start of the show that I found out in my prep about racing pigs and your golfing prowess. And I also found out that you are also a mentor for women in sports and entertainment. I'd love to hear more about that and for you to to promote that a little bit. What does mentoring on that front entail? Why do you think it's important? And also about how do you find it rewarding yourself? I learn as much from my mentees as as I hope they learn from me. One of my mentees and I read Brene Brown's book, Dare to Lead. And each week we would read a chapter and then we would talk about it. I learned so much from her. She had such an amazing perspective, but that's certainly what I get out of it. I'll also share with you that early in my career, I jumped into some really big jobs and had you know roles and responsibility that today I, I recognize I might not have been ready for. And although uh, I was successful, it really came at a great price. And during that time in my career, I didn't always have a mentor. And I think in part it, it was because I didn't really know how to ask for the help. And I really didn't want people to see that I was struggling. And I didn't have mentors at some really critical points in my career. So I was fighting through it on my own. And there's no reason for any of us to do that. And so I really want to be that force, right, for for young women who are early in their career so they don't struggle more than what they need to. And so they have a trusted source who's giving them good advice you know, it's so great to be a, a, a mentor with, with WISE. And I really believe that it's so important uh, that we're all supporting each other and that women who are growing into leadership positions, who want to be in the C-suite and the boardroom, I mean, this is where it starts, right? For mentors and for mentees. And so I would encourage any, any woman in the sports and entertainment industry should be a part of the WISE organization. It's great advice and great work. So I'm sure people that you mentor and, and the industry as a whole, they're very appreciative of you putting back into it and it's it's great work. So thank you. Paula, part of what else you do is deliver the Sponsorship Mastery Summit. What is that all about and how can people get involved? Yeah, the Sponsorship Mastery Summit is where industry leaders come together to master the art and science of sponsorship, as we like to say. This is a passion project of mine. This is part of me giving back to an industry that I love. This year marks the fourth annual uh, summit. It's at the end of September 28th and 30th. I hope you come join us. It's in Seattle. We're live. I'm so excited about that. We'll have 30-some industry thought leaders like Wim Stock, who I mentioned earlier, and Angelina Lawton from Sports Digita, uh, Mike McCann from Amazon, Jeff Webster from Climate Pledge and the Kraken, and uh, uh, Scott McNearney from South by Southwest, who just wrapped up a really successful year, will all be presenting. And so really looking forward to hearing what they have to say. The summit, my hope, my vision is that it is the place where we shape the future of sponsorship, where we as an industry come together and accomplish many of the things that you and I have talked about today, uh, Daniel, but it's, it's, it's a place for people to be part of that conversation. And I don't know about you, but I love being with my people. I love talking about sponsorship. I love talking about best practices and emerging categories and what does the future look like? And so Sponsorship Mastery Summit is uh, a place for people to do exactly that. Yes, I love being with people. They don't even need to be my own people, Paula. I just love being around people. I've just come back from a conference for a client in the uh, pharmaceutical 
industry and so they're totally not my my people but just being around energetic people who are passionate about the work they do energizes me as well so i'm sure the event is going to be amazing but of course your main focus is caravel marketing and it's only fair that you get to give that a plug what is caravel marketing's focus and, and purpose how do you help and work with people and where can people go to find out more Simply said, our purpose is to help people build high-performance partnerships. Uh, we're here to make the process easier and simpler for sponsorship marketers, whether they're on the buying or the selling side or, or, or work with agencies. We love sales planning. I know you don't hear that every day, Daniel. We love sales planning. We are geeks for sponsorship strategy. I'm flying my flag. If it's it's sponsorship, it's it's what we do. So that's what Caravel is all about. And it's it's our purpose is to help people navigate through sometimes the stormy season sponsorship. <laughs> uh, find calmer waters. Excellent. Paula, great chat. So many great insights. If people want to get in contact with you, keep the conversation going, learn more about your work, what can they do? Where can they go? Of course, I could talk about sponsorship marketing all day. Uh, actually, I guess that is what I do. Truly my pleasure to talk with you today. I'd love to continue the conversation. I'm happy to have people reach out to me. Uh, Paula at caravelmarketing.com is the best way to get in touch with me and would love an opportunity to talk with anyone who wants to talk about the future of sponsorship. I'm in. Outstanding. Paula Beadle, founder and CEO at Caravel Marketing. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your insights and advice on sponsorship. Thank you very much for inviting me to join you today. This was really fun. I really enjoyed that chat with Paula and especially some of the framing she provided. I especially love it when guests help me think more about something and look at something differently or or, or look at it from a different angle. I really do like that. And I trust that you got lots of value out of hearing from Paula as well. If you would like to follow and connect with Paula, simply visit caravelmarketing.com. That's C-A-R-A-V-E-L marketing.com or email Paula at paula at caravelmarketing.com or of course, you can connect with Paula on LinkedIn. Just search for Paula Beadle. That's B-E-A-D-L-E. And if the sound of the Sponsorship Mastery Summit sounded appealing to you, be sure to find out more at sponsorshipmastery.com. Finally, if you'd like a shout out in the next show or just want to connect with me and say hi, then I would totally love to hear from you. I get a real kick out of hearing from you, the listeners, and what you're up to and where you are in the world. So please connect with me on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston. That's O-Y-S-T-O-N. That's a wrap for episode 107. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. Thanks for listening to the show. For more episodes and to subscribe to the show, search for Inside Sponsorship on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. Also, for more free industry-specific resources, including blogs, eBooks, white papers, and our Insights newsletter, head to coresoftware.com. Finally, be sure to follow Core Software on Twitter and LinkedIn.